0: Hello, this is the staff of the Altamond Enterprise and Albany County Post gathered together around our table in what has become an annual tradition. I have with me reporters who know more about this part of Albany County than anyone else in the world. And we are going to take a Janus-faced look. Janus, of course, was the Roman god of beginnings and endings, but he looked both ways on the gate. And these reporters are going to be sharing some of their top stories of the year, talking about how they found them, what they meant, and maybe taking a little look forward to how those issues that they've delineated so well may play out in 2020. So just to introduce around the table, because sometimes this will turn into a round table, even though it's rectangular, um, you know, with other people chiming in, we have Noah Zweifel, who our long-term readers will know is new to us this year. H. Rose Schneider has gone on from covering the Hilltowns to covering cops in courts, for the Daily Newspaper in Utica, and we are delighted to have Noah covering the Hilltowns. We have Sean Mulcairin, who covers New Scotland, both the villages of Altamont and Voorheesville, and also takes long looks at issues. And last but certainly not least, we have Elizabeth Floyd Mayer, Born and raised and so knowledgeable about Gilderland that um, it's it's beyond measure. So we're going to start with Noah, who's going to tell us about um, some of the stories that he has covered since he's been here that he feels are important.
1: So the first story, one of the first stories I did um, was... Knox's multi-use residential district, um, proposed multi-use residential district, um, which was voted on and rejected at um, the first town hall meeting that I ever went to while here at this paper. It was voted down three to two. It required a supermajority vote because the proposal was um, rejected by the Albany County Planning Board who cited negative environmental impacts, as well as an inconsistency with the town's comprehensive plan, which was um, the issue that Earl Barcombe, one of the Democrats on the town board, um, raised with it also. Uh, Earl Barcombe and Dennis Barber were the ones who voted against the proposal. Um, What was great about that story was that it was obviously a major update in a really significant um, process for the town. Um, which has been seeking to improve business opportunities um, for many years. This story began three years ago when Supervisor Basilios Lefkididis, um attempted to rezone the area as a business district, and then um, a few years down the line um, reformed it um, as a multi-use residential district. And I think what was... Exceptionally nice about that story was that um, the personalities of all the major players really came through in that um, town hall meeting. Um, Lev um was very critical of many audience members. Um, Earl Barcombe had a lot of um, kind of sly asides, and Bridget McAuliffe, who was one of the residents um, most critical of the proposal. Um, Spoke up a lot And an important component of that story Was delving into her background Um, She Had issues In the past in other states Living near um, Businesses that contaminated her well water Um, And then she Ultimately brought the court And got a settlement through that Um, And I don't know if any of those issues Came up in prior meetings So I think that was a really important addition to people Learning about um, that story.
0: So, Noah, if you look forward, because we're Janus faced here, what, what do you see happening with the MRD in 2020?
1: So, Earl Barcombe and Dennis Barber both lost their reelection campaigns um, to Dennis Sear and June Springer, who are um, part of Left Cadetus' slate. They're not Republicans, um, but they were backed by the GOP. And they are um, supportive of um, a rezoning. It'll be interesting, I guess, to see whether they're going to try and revive um, the the same proposal or if they're going to alter it in some way. I would guess not because really Barber and Barcombe were, were the only obstacles for them. I mean, if they can get a supermajority approval, then it doesn't matter what the Albany County Planning Board um, thought about it.
0: Also, they've reconfigured the district, haven't they, to take out, like, the McAuliffe parcel, but many of the residents in that district didn't want it, and so they've kind of done a patchwork, <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, and, and that's what um, Earl Barcombe's uh, concern was. He's, he, he was very clear that he's not against... Um, business, um, but that he just didn't feel that the residents who lived in that area and who it would affect the most uh, were supportive of it. And so he was just looking for um, another path. And so you've
0: also selected another story to talk about. This is in the neighboring town of Byrne in the Hilltowns. Tell us about that.
1: So uh, Joel (laughs) Wilsey, who's a Democrat on the board... um, Has long been critical of um, The way The highway department um, Whose superintendent is Randy Bashwinger Who is also the head of the Byrne GOP Um, He Willsey has written Many letters to the editor um, Displayed various Slideshows at the uh, Town hall meetings outlining the Concerns that he has with the roads Um, And Bashwinger uh, has, I guess, been very, very sensitive to that criticism and has retaliated against Wilsey by opening all sorts of investigations into um, conduct. Um, for instance, I think probably the most um, strange one is that he, he requested that um, a sexual misconduct investigation take place after Wilsey, in a email about um, campaign signs, he said... Something along the lines of, um, campaign signs were erected in such a manner, and um, Bashwinger pulled out the word erection, or erected, and um, tried to put it in a more sexual context and and accuse Wilsey of of being inappropriate. So, it's um, kind of a hostile environment on the town board, and this road evaluation that's been proposed by Wilsey where an outside engineer comes to look at the roads find some issues, help guide the highway department in solving them most efficiently um, was kind of a, um, another symbolic attack in Bashwinger's eyes on um, his political status so that in itself was interesting but what we discovered um, And looking into the story was that a few months ago, a municipal consultant was hired, um, an outside party, who was brought in to help the town streamline its budget and come up with more accurate projections for years going forward, which allowed the town to decrease taxes while increasing spending, um, which Lyons was very proud of, but he didn't acknowledge the help he received from the consultant when I spoke with him around the time the budget was passed. Um, but when I spoke with a consultant um, earlier this month, he told me that he received no cooperation from Randy Bashwinger, who, as the highway superintendent, controls the majority of the town's budget. More than 50% of the town's overall budget goes to the highway department.
0: But the town board has to approve it. They hold
1: the purse strings. Right. So it makes a point of friction. Um, and that was really good because we've been covering burn a long time and it's a lot of back and forth and, and mostly the relevant parties are, you know, involved in one way or another on a personal level. Um, either they're a town board member or, um, you know, I mean, they're in the mix somehow, but having this outside consultant was really helpful in establishing a foundation, um, for us to balance these, these opposing perspectives on. And, um, i mean he was he was pretty clear in his uh his decision on on who acted in what way and what was appropriate and what was not, so that was really good
0: so if you look forward to twenty twenty tell us what's going to happen to the board then and and what might unfold
1: uh so similar to knox um burns election um, brought a new ideology majority to the board, ideological majority to the board. Um, So Wilsey will be the only Democrat um, until his reelection two years from now, if he decides to to run again. Um, In that time, he'll probably be completely paralyzed and unable to get any of his issues addressed um, so long as Bashwinger is the highway superintendent and um, public sentiment as it currently does remains to to rest in bashwingers um arena well thank
0: you noah and now we're going to move on to sean who has done some deep dives on legal cases
2: yeah it has been a litigious year where the outcome is actually seen at the ballot box quite a bit uh In Voorheesville, going back to November, almost when I started here, November 2017, Coach Robert Barron filed a lawsuit where he claimed that he was fraudulently induced to uh, resign his job because he was accused of, in one way or another, harassing or inflicting he told a girl he was gonna. If I had a gun, I'd shoot you. And there were these other allegations that had come along, where he was he was a strong-willed coach who had tendencies where he was kind of an old-school coach who was harder on the players than they're used to. So that's how he played. That's how he was a coach. So that and came, he
0: had a very successful team yes, that was yes. kind of revered by the community. Yeah.
2: So in November, 7, November 2017, uh, a player went to the administration and said that what had happened was he had said that if I had a gun, I'd shoot you. Baron co- subsequent, subsequently was brought in, um, told he was put on administrative leave. Eventually, he was let go. However, he wasn't actually let go. He ended up resigning so he could save face. Fast forward, he ended up suing because he claimed that he was fraudulently induced to resign because when they went to investigate the uh, claim, they only talked to two people instead of the entire team. Now, as we're coming forward to this year, we have court filings going back and forth. We're up to the point of partial discovery where there are new things being included in these filings, such as allegations of the girls who were the ones who claimed that Barron was harassing them in some way. Those same girls were also have claimed to have been bullies and bullying other teammates. There were claims that they had written signs that said F Barron. Uh there were other allegations of, you know, intimidation of the team. But where this played out at the ballot box was the school board became very unpopular because of the way that the people in the Voorheesville School District saw this as being handled. And the school board president, Dorian Sayer, who was up for re-election, not only lost, she lost very, very badly. She lost by almost three-to-one margin to uh, Rachel Gilker, who uh, she is a constant presence at uh, school board meetings. She had actually kind of rode a wave of anti-incumbent sentiment to a degree. She had actually had backing of the Voiceville Teachers Union, which was odd because they'd never come out for anyone. So she, there was a lot of anti-incumbent sentiment and it was eventually pushed out. Now, going forward with the Baron thing, with the new superintendent in place, there might be some movement going forward now in the new year. Um, as for the actual – there are elections in 2020. Uh, if the same anti-incumbency seems to be – that coalition seems to be holding strong that uh, Jeannie McDonald and I think Diana Stratt are up. So I think that they will have difficulty going forward if those are the two. I can't remember exactly. But whoever are the incumbents are going to have difficulty going forward, uh, there's a definite anti-incumbent sentiment, and there is a block of people who will show up to vote them out. Um, our other litigious, you know, here in the village of Altamont, there was a group of citizens, the Conserv- Severs- Severson? Severson neighbors, they sued the village of Altamont over a rezone Uh, 107-109 Hildeberg Ave was rezoned from commercial residential to commercial thank you Um, so that stewards could expand the concerned Severs and Neighbors they filed a lawsuit an article 78 lawsuit claiming that the way the village board went about the process was illegal they claimed that the village board had segmented their review Um, when they when they approved the rezone they only considered part of it they only considered the the rezone on paper the actual you know from commercial from residential to commercial they didn't consider the construction impact when they did that so that was considered segmentation the other part was they didn't fully they didn't Properly do the seeker, the state environmental review. Um, subsequently, I'm sorry, it was spot zoning. They were accused of spot zoning. Um, that was thrown out. Um, also, another village election came along in March, where there was another anti-incumbency mood. But the two members of the board, Nick and Michelle Ganats, they were challenged by two village. Um, two villagers who were anti-stewards, uh, Ferenkopf and Gdansk, you know, narrowly won. And to kind of remedy this lawsuit, the village board again voted to rezone the parcel of land at 107 and 109 Helderberg Ave. in such a way where they properly rezoned it and they did it in a way that was... Consistent with the lawsuit in the proper way, so they kind of negated the lawsuit. So now Stewart's has the land rezoned properly, and they were recently uh, before the zoning board looking for three variances, and they will be presenting probably at the end of the month to the again to the zoning board and to the planning board an actual plan for building. Uh, Stewart's is also suing the village of Voorheesville. Over the village's comprehensive plan and rezoning. Voiceville rezoned their area uh, around Smitty's to basically tell, to basically not allow Stewart's to build there. Stewart's also filed an Article 78 saying that that was illegal, and right now that's in court. Going forward, the filings are.
0: Well, thanks, Sean. With the Altamont one, can you just take us a little back further in time? Because I get the feeling with corporations like Stewart's or Pyramid and Gilderland, which Elizabeth has written a lot about, they're able to wait and take time and eventually end up with what they want. (laughs) So just tell us a little about the Stewart's history in Altamont, if you can.
2: Well, they had started in 2015. They originally... The original owner of uh, the house, I think Frank Bauman, uh, they had tried to work out a deal with him to basically do the same plan where they would move their Stewarts, they would move their shop back onto the land that he owned at adjacent to where the current Stewart shop is right now on Altama Boulevard. That went down to defeat in a two to two tie. It was a two to two tie, so therefore it went down. Stewarts kind of sat and waited for a bit uh they eventually bought the property from bauman so since there was a new owner they were able to go forward again and ask for a rezone because they were a new owner and in addition they also had a new board where they had a three to two they had a i think there were there were two new board members who hadn't been on the board in 2015 who were pro-growth uh, who subsequently voted the first time in 2018 to rezone that property uh, and voted again uh, in 2019 to give them the same rezone.
0: Thanks. So I guess we'll segue to Elizabeth, who has picked two stories to talk to us about.
3: Um, So I picked uh, a story that I thought there was um, something I could talk about about that people wouldn't know about, about how the story came to be that I thought might be interesting. It was the um, story that uh, I wrote early this year about um, after the sentencing of uh, Linwood teacher Todd Mel. So um, there was a story after the sentencing story. Um, You know, a lot of times a sentencing story is the end of it all. You know, you don't hear any more about that person after that. But in this case... um, after the sentencing story, there was so a... New just tell
0: us a little about what he was okay, accused yeah. of, to tell people.
3: Okay. So Todd Mel was a long-time and beloved teacher at Linwood. Um, he was a classroom teacher for a while, a long time. Then he was a math specialist, um, and he was accused by a, a woman, a young woman, um, of many years earlier having touched her inappropriately in the classroom over and over again throughout the year when she was 10. Um, so she um, she said that he would get her up next to his desk and put his arm around her and then his arm would go down around where her thigh met her crotch area and kind of fondle around there and stuff and grope at her the whole time talking to her in a normal way like, so did you do your homework, you know, whatever. Um, so this went on 30 or 40 times at least, she said, um, and she had... She had lived with it all that time, she said, but had never told anybody about it, not her parents, nobody. And there was a time when she was talking to a friend, and the friend said that Mr. Mill had been weird. And then she said, really? You know, they started talking about it, and um, she said, well, you know, what do you do, or whatever. And um, she found out that that friend hadn't had the same experience that she had had, but that she had gotten a weird vibe from him and that um, she, he had touched her more often than she liked, but not in that same way. Um, so um, this girl, um, finally, after that conversation, had told her parents, she said randomly in the car, she had told her father in a long car ride when she was in, um, I think, the back seat. Anyway, um, so... We had tried, when we wrote the sentencing story, to get um, her point of view, to find out what had happened, because there was no information from anybody, the police or anybody about the DA, about what had happened. um, What did she allege had happened? So we didn't know that. Um, We couldn't get her victim impact statement. We couldn't get anything. We didn't know who she was. We had tried to find out who she was, so we could offer her to tell her point of view without using her name. And um, we were unsuccessful in getting any of that. So um, we just kind of had the main story, you know, the story that Mel and his lawyer were telling, which was, you know, that Mel graciously, in order to preserve his family's dignity, had agreed to plead guilty to a misdemeanor endangering the welfare of a child. Um, so that this whole thing would come to an end. And at the before the sentencing, the judge had received many, dozens of glowing letters about what a great teacher Mel was and how unlikely it was that he would have done anything like this and how it was strange that no one had seen anything in the classroom because, you know, how can you do something like that in a classroom and have nobody see it? Um, so the, basically the girl must be lying and, um, you know, and he was sort of becoming the victim um and there wasn't any counter story to that there wasn't any story in the media about um you know any other narrative so um after that story came out about the sentencing that included some of the um the words from the letters including one was from um now uh, school board vice president Timothy Harran a former teacher who um said that it was an example of me too mccarthyism said that it was um you know girls can say anything about guys and and um you know have them be convicted um and also a a long time uh long time board member judy slack um who was a former ta she also spoke in um in support of mel and, and asked that he should be able to keep his teaching license anyway after that story came out um the victim's family, the victim and her family, came to us to ask us to tell their story um, so um that was yeah, that was uh, great It was you know um, very moving and disturbing to hear her story, but it was um really good to be able to put out a different narrative than the one that um that he had been able to successfully um, keep as the only one for all that time for about a year so
0: and you've done actually several stories where you have told the view of a victim that otherwise would not be heard one that comes to mind was when there was a rape conviction of a student who who had been sleeping in her dorm at Albany you noticed a woman who attended regularly this trial and talked to her and discovered that her daughter years before had been a victim and told her story and it's courageous for us to run them (laughs) as our libel lawyer is always telling us because so often in the Me Too movement people seem to think that you're protected when you tell those stories but but you're not and it's so important and you do it so well getting getting those voices out to the public
3: mm that woman the she she was yeah now a woman at the time when he when frank franklin casatelli had um you know allegedly uh raped her she, she had been a, a girl um but yeah she um you know she had had a you know as often happens you know it was a case where um you know, she was she had, was buying drugs at the time. You know, like it wasn't she wasn't necessarily the most sort of reliable narrator. Like people would be able to look at her and say, Oh, she's just, you know. Um and so she she never did um wasn't able to bring any charges against him, you know, and all those years ago that had hap- you know, that had allegedly happened and uh he went on to do this other thing at um the University of Albany. So yeah, well, both was. of
0: those stories show is how, for the victim, it stays with them the rest of their lives. You know, you capture that so well.
3: Yeah, it can be so damaging. So, yeah. Yeah. But you also have a story you're going to share with us that's on a happier note. <laughs> right, this was a little more, a little random, but um, yes, I really liked writing the story about um, Christ Lutheran Church. Somebody had contacted us and, and said that there was this the Christ Lutheran was closing, and that um, the church was closing, and that there and was. And you did
0: the typical church right. closing story, which is sad. Yes. Members aging, right. um, not enough of a congregation, but you
3: found. So we took pictures, you know, of the um, small, older, elderly congregation, you know, not many people quietly sitting there, you know, um, and. Um, you know the decision to close it down because it wasn't it wasn't viable anymore but we had learned from this phone call from i think it was maybe it was your friend yeah um that uh, there was a, a much, a much more active group that was also using the church once a week. So we looked into that, managed to find them, and they were well, you know, very welcoming. So um, went out there and uh, got, you know, went to the church after being at the other service, which was quiet and very, very small. Got there and thought, this can't be the, this can't be the thing. There was like a loud rock band coming out, you know, <laughs> that you could hear as you approached, and it was like, wait, what? That can't be right, and. It was this wonderful service of these people from Micronesia, which is like um, the area around like Saipan and Guam and stuff, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and um, all these people, there about a hundred people, all in the Gilderland area, you know, the cap- capital district, uh, who have a very different approach to religion, a very active and joyant, joyous, and jubilant. takes
0: great pictures. They're dressed colorfully, and you even did a video, like yeah, a little a boy proselytizing.
3: Little boys wearing little suits who get up on the altar and start screaming, you know, praise the Lord, and... Um, it's a mixture of um, English, like "Praise the Lord," "Praise God," and uh, and also, you know, their language, and it was it was amazing. And actually, when I first got there, the the priest said, like, it, you couldn't sneak in. The priest said, "Oh, well, welcome. You know, we have a newspaper reporting here." He said. He said, "Um, you may not understand everything that we say since a lot of it is in our own language, but just let the spirit wash over you and just you know, just it was and anyway, it was kind of wonderful. I mean, it made me want to join their church. <laughs> I've never been back since then because it would be too obvious, but if I could sneak in and not be seen, I would like go to their church sometimes. It was great."
0: Thank you for staying with us, listening to us, and reading us, because without you, we wouldn't be able to cover these stories. And Happy New Year.